Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. If you would join me in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, if you put your finger there, then turn over to Luke chapter 10. 2 Timothy 4 and then Luke chapter 10. Um, I think both of these verses or passages of Scripture kind of bear out the same thing. And what I want to talk about today is uh, in response to uh, clean living and, and kind of the, the basis for this entire couple week series is just things that, I don't, don't take this offensively because it, it's obviously not my heart, but uh, is it, things that babies need in order to, to, to do better. You know, so children need to know who their family is and find their identity. And they also need to, to learn how to live well, I mean, every parent's dream for their own children is that they learn how to clean themselves, uh, right? And, uh, and today we're going to talk about the importance of feeding yourself. Uh, and so specifically, we're going to talk about the Word of God. But I want to first uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is something, I'm going to set the context super quick uh, because I think the context is one of the most important things that that bears the truth of what Paul is about to say here. So this was written in AD 67. We know that King Nero committed suicide early, or at least by June of AD 68. We also know that Nero actually killed the apostle Paul. And so Paul is, act, is asking Timothy to come and visit him. We know that this is sometime during the winter months of AD 67 that Paul writes the book of 2 Timothy. We also know that Paul did not write beyond the book of 2 Timothy. That's as far chronologically as Paul wrote in his lifetime. The only reason that I bring this up is Paul knows that he's about to die. He is, uh, has made several statements in that regard that he knows his time is at hand. And so this is the last words that Paul writes to potentially the first man who was called to pastor under his ministry. So here's what he says. In fact, the first thing, I'm not going to read it, but in the context is, I really hope that you make it a priority to come and visit me soon. Uh, why soon? Because the next time we meet shouldn't be at my funeral. Uh, but when you come, in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, now that word books, there's lots of words that could be used to translate books that we would translate into the word books. This word is biblios, uh, which just simply means a, a, comp a compilation that is already written. So this is what Paul is talking about. We don't know specifically what books, but we know he was an avid reader. And then he says, above all, and that word can also be translated especially, or if you forget the books, especially bring the parchments. Now that word parchments is also an interesting word. In Greek, it's the word membrane, which is where we get our word membrane. So please make sure you, you bring the, the membranes, these, these scrolls. Uh, the works that have been put together that are a combination of writings, but they've all been put in one, in one place and, and bound together. Uh, make sure that you bring those. 
And I love this because what Paul is actually saying is, I will really, in these last days of my life, I'd like for my mental you know, faculties to stay sharp. Uh, and so make sure you bring the books. I'd like to read, the, read those books, but make sure, especially... If, if you don't have room for anything else, you forget the cloak. I'm freezing to death in this dungeon. Forget the cloak. Forget the books. Make sure you bring the parchments. What are the parchments? Well, we don't know absolute, with absolute certainty, but the context, I think, proves that what Paul is wanting is the scripture that had already been written. What Paul is wanting is whatever parts of the Old Testament that were uh, in his care, that he had carefully written himself, uh, where he had maybe been at the temple or synagogue or learned by heart or whatever. These are the things that in Paul's last moments of life, what does he want? In, in Paul's, you know, of all the things that Paul, here's what most of us would ask for. You know, I'm about to, to face my executioner. I'm about to meet a sharp ax. Make sure, especially the epidural, especially the morphine. And if you, if, you, if you don't remember anything else, make sure you bring the Xanax because I'm losing my mind up in here, okay? That's what most people, it's okay to laugh. It, it's all right, we can make fun of ourselves. So these are the things that most of us would say, but what, what Paul knew the cure for all of these things would be is to have Jesus in the room with him is to make sure that to have the, the very voice and the very breath of God in this place of loneliness and isolation. Just earlier, he had said this. I mean, just, just seconds ago, he said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. He knew he was about to die. He also knew that he was ready to die. But what I really want is I want to be able to read the word of God and be fed in these moments of isolation. I want to use the word of God to commune with Jesus I need him here with me, and there's no better way to usher Jesus into the room than through his word. All right, now we're going to shoot over to Luke chapter 10. During Jesus' life, Jesus would make several trips to Jerusalem and work in and around the, these areas. And one of his, seems to be one of his favorite families is Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they lived in a little town called Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And so anytime Jesus was close, rather than having to put up with, you know, some recommendation from Expedia, he would just stay at an Airbnb in Bethany with his friends. I'm trying to be really funny here this morning. You're making it really hard for me, all right? Maybe I should just stop. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, verse 38 is where we're going to be. So Jesus would stay with these, with these friends. They were very well accustomed with him. They were believers. They walked uh, in obedience to the Lord. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. We know this because of their confessions of faith throughout their, uh, their stories in Scripture. But here's uh, Jesus is just a typical trip, nothing special. Uh, he shows up. They're prepared for his coming. Verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary, called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. 
And she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But listen to this. This is the most important thing here. But only one thing is needed. Your worry, you are so distracted by everything else. But there's only one thing that's needed. Mary has chosen what is better. Mary has chosen that one thing. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary is your classic task-oriented person. And there's very few people who, up until the time where Jesus would speak this, that wouldn't identify with Martha. Jesus is coming to visit, and all she can think about are the preparations. Martha is so busy bustling from the kitchen to the dining room that she doesn't even have time to spend with the guest. She's busy serving, but the serving has become an obligation to her. Now, I want you to hear this very closely. The serving has become an obligation, and that obligation has created anxiety, and that anxiety has created a quick temper And that quick temper has brought her to the judgment of others and not just Mary now, but also Jesus. Can you imagine Mary's mindset as she's working in the kitchen and thinking about all those people in the living room just sitting there? And she starts thinking about Mary and I can't believe Mary, she should know how to help me. And then she starts thinking, Jesus isn't doing anything either. He's just sitting there talking and letting her talk. If he'd stop talking, she'd get up and come in here and help me. I know that you know what Martha is thinking because that's exactly what every one of us thinks. I know I get busy on my task that most times people just become oblivious around me. And sometimes I'm oblivious to people and to God. I get too busy even for the Lord. And I know that some of you understand what it's like to get so busy doing good things that you forget the one thing, the most important thing, the better thing. And when Jesus says it's the one thing, he's not saying that it's the only thing necessarily. That's, it says only one thing, but what he is saying is this one thing actually gives birth to every other thing. Every other thing. So... Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She was frustrated. She's frustrated with Mary, probably already was frustrated with Mary. Jesus now seems to be implicit in her rejection. Now listen, I want to tell you, and you need to hear it, serving is very, very important. But I want you to write this down. This is very important. I want you to write down. I want you to pray over it all week long. Serving at the expense of setting is devastating. You could become so busy serving that you forget to sit in his presence and remember the motivation that serving comes from. This affects most Christians and certainly most leaders in churches. It's because there are always distractions, always things to do. Good things, good things. But before long, you start working in fumes. You start serving from the fumes, from the residue, and it doesn't take very long to get tired. You get broken. You get frustrated. You get crispy. You get completely burned out. And then it's all of those people's fault, or sometimes it's even God's fault 
but it's not. It's because we refused or we maybe got so distracted that we forgot to sit with him. So Martha must have been pretty surprised by Jesus because honestly, that sounds, up until Jesus' answer, it sounds like a reasonable thing. Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. It's, it, the reason that he says this is because every other thing, other things are important. I mean, they got to eat. I mean, you don't want to come into a nasty house. Somebody's got to take care of all those things. Somebody's got to plan the meal. Somebody's got to wash the dishes. Somebody's got to, I was going to say fluff the pillows, but I'm not sure that that was the world they lived in. But it's because the, the, even though the other things are important, but only beneficial to the kingdom if they pour out of the one thing. And that's the thing that I want you to understand this morning is time alone with Jesus Time alone in the word of God is the thing that gives fruit and life to every other thing in your life. And you can think that everything else is, is important and you're busy and I know you're important. You are you yourself. People need you. People love you. You need to be around people. What are they going to do without your influence? But here's the, here's the truth. If it doesn't flow out of your time with God, it's temporary. It doesn't last long. But if, if you can allow your influence and your serving and your ministry to flow out of your time with Jesus, it will prove eternal. Time with Jesus is the one thing. See, I want you to understand that spending time with Jesus, and I, I want us to hear this from my heart, not my words, because I don't know how this will come out exactly. But time with Jesus cannot be a priority in your life. It cannot be a priority. It's the, of all the things I've got to do today, time with Jesus is one. I mean, it, and it's probably the most important, amen? But it can't become a priority. It can't be in this lists of things that have got to be done today. It's everything else is on the list. Time with Jesus is essential. It can't be the most important thing that you do today. It's got to make sure that of all the things you do today, it's absolute, because sometimes if you put Jesus on a priority list or you spend time with God as a priority, sometimes you might have something else that's more important. It seems obvious that a relationship with Mary and Martha was more important to Jesus than the meal he was about to eat. Martha focused on the meal. Mary focused on the relationship. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen what is better, the one thing, the better thing, the thing that all other things flow out of is a relationship with Jesus. And I think that is proven time and time again throughout Scripture. You see, you need a relationship with Jesus for every life decision to have meaning and purpose for eternity. And God has called, called us, now that we are alive spiritually, he has called us to live, setting our treasure in heaven, seated with Jesus in heavenly places. We're already there. We, we should already have the mindset of eternity. He actually has placed eternity in our hearts and created us with eternity in our hearts. So we are eternal beings and we know it. So now that our spirit is alive, we have eternal thoughts. It's not temporary. It's not today. It's forever. And so everything that we do, everything that we touch should gain life from us. Everything that we speak to should gain life because we have his life in us. And it's reproducible. He gave us reproducible life. But if it's not flowing out of him into us and out of us into others, it's just temporary. 
God walked with Adam and Eve. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. And over and over we begin to see this. You see this, this picture and this word walk is the word halik, which means your manner of life. It doesn't actually mean going on a walk. It means as you are going, as you are pursuing, as you are living, as you go. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew that as you go, what? As you pursue, as you walk, and then Paul follows that up with say, walk worthy of the vocation that you've been called. What, what is walking worthy? It's as you go, make disciples. As you go, help people find and follow Jesus. As you go, make sure that Jesus's life is passing through you. But if you're not tapping into Jesus's life every day from his word, his breath, what could we possibly giving away except maybe some good advice? But don't we want to speak with power? And don't we want to speak with authority? And don't we want to speak with life? And yet so many Christians think that their good advice is, is life. But unless it is the words of Jesus, it doesn't have life. I believe the scripture is clear. God wants to walk with us. He wants us to walk with him. I wonder if we're walking with God. You know, when Adam and Eve chose not to be obedient, they went and hid themselves from the walk. And when God was walking in the cool of the day one day, he actually called out to them, where are you? Well, we, we were naked. We hid, themselves. we hid ourselves. Who told you you were naked? I just wonder, in our, in our Christian experience, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a far fetch. I think it's. I think it's spot on that whatever it is that you're excusing in your life that's kept you too distracted from the Word of God every day, it's sin. It's it's sin because if you're not spending time with Him, you're hiding, intentionally or unintentionally. That's not the point. It doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. The point is, if you're not spending time with God's word every day, not what somebody else thinks about God's word, if you're not spending time learning the word of God by the Holy Spirit, then you're just hiding or you're being hid. And we've got to figure out, is it intentional sin? Am I intentionally rebelling by not spending time in God's word? Or do I have so many other things in my life that are more important to me than spending time in God's word? Now we have at least identified what those idols are in our life. But it's sin, pure and simple. Say, I'm just busy. Well, whatever it is that's keeping you from time with Jesus is sin. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, Pastor, you don't know what my day is like. So what has to go? My husband, my wife, my kids. I got to quit my job. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Those are good things. But those things only have life if they flow out of the life of Jesus, okay? What that means is you need to look through your life and say, it ain't, it ain't the relationship's problem. It may be for some, 
relationships in your life that are not necessary. Obviously, I'm not talking about our, our vows or our commitments. But there may be some things in your life that need to go. And they may be good things. But if they demand more of your time than spending time with Jesus, they, they may need to go. Or that, that sleep that we so desperately need that sometimes we don't. It's just easier to, to tap out. Maybe, maybe some of that time we could get up a little earlier, go to bed a little later, and be able to spend time hearing the voice of Jesus. Being a Christian is really all about relationships. It's about loving God with all we have, learning his love, and then loving others with the love that we have been loved by. It's not primarily about doctrine. Now, what we believe is obviously very important. It's not primarily even about keeping the rules, although what we do is very, very important. It's primarily about relationships, who you know and who you love. And the one thing is a relationship with Jesus, and everything flows out of that. If we forget that, then our spiritual practices, reading the Bible, praying, listening, journaling, obeying, all of those things just become religious work and they zap life from us. Just more things to check off our to-do list like Martha had. If our spiritual practices don't bring us closer to Jesus and more like Jesus, then we've missed the point of those practices. Mary was feeding on Jesus' word while Martha was preparing a meal. She was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what Jesus had to say. She was feeding on Jesus' word. In Matthew chapter 4, when the devil came and tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, what did Jesus say? It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what happens if you only eat once a week? I've been in ministry now for a long time, and I can tell you I have heard it more than once. People say, if they change churches, and not just from, from ours, uh, but, but for many. You know, why, you know, why, well, I just wasn't being fed anymore. And I know you've heard it. You've probably even thought it. And there are multiple reasons that get us to that place, right? There are some churches where there's not much feeding going on uh, corporately. But the truth of the matter is, I want you to try this. Next time you are able to go to a, a restaurant and sit down, order your food, they'll bring it to you and just sit there. And when the, when, the, when the manager comes by and checks on you and says, hey, how is everything? You can say, you know what? I'm never coming back to this restaurant again. What's wrong, sir? How can I make it right? Well, I'm just not being fed. Well, sir, we gave you a spoon and we gave you a fork and we gave you a knife and we gave you the food. Do you really want somebody to come and and feed you? Sometimes church is like that. You just tell me what to believe. Tell me what to think. I'll make up my decision. And here, you know, Here's what I would love. I would love for church not, and I, I want, better be careful how I say this. I would love for corporate worship to be an overflow of our personal time with God. Not, not become the thing that our personal time with God flows out of. I would, I, would love, I would love to be able to, for us to be able to come together and sharpen each other with our encouragement and our words and our accountability. I would love for the things that the church is a part of to be just as important through the week as they are on the weekends. 
I'd love for us to take our faith seriously and to be able to speak life rather than one to hundreds. I'd rather it be hundreds to the one. I think, it would be, I, think it's, I think it's the way the New Testament is written. But one of the reasons why that we don't do that is because we're just wanting somebody to feed us. Even when it comes to, and I, again, I'm, I, I really, this isn't the biggest deal. So I'm, I, I just, just for clarity and for illustration's sake, even our devotional time, we expect somebody else to write it. And we can't, it's like we can't read the scripture without having someone tell us what to think about it. Listen, you have a holy mentor that resides inside of you that actually wrote the thing. He will guide you into all truth. He is the one who will tell you what is true and what is not true. He is the one that will verify in your spirit what can be believed and what can't be believed. You don't need me to tell you that. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need some Bible teacher on TV to tell you that or some devotional writer to tell you that. Yeah, they use great stories, but stories don't have life. Scripture has life. We have to be a people of the book. Whose responsibility is to make sure, if I go, if, <laughs> I'm not even gonna say that, that'd get me in trouble. There's a lot of places you go, if you say, you know what, I'm leaving because I'm just not being fed. They'll say, well, you know what? Feed yourself. Feed yourself. It's easy. No one else can do it for you. That's true physically. It's true spiritually. You might be thinking, I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't have a Bible degree or I'm not a Bible teacher. I don't know how to understand the Bible. I hear people say that sometimes to me. As I just I read it, but I don't, know, I don't know what I'm reading. Well, it's not the newspaper. It really isn't. And you know, some of these, maybe this is a little preachy, so I apologize for that. But sometimes we open the Bible and it's almost like we want the, the, the Bible should be hard for us to understand. That's actually one of the things that I like about the King James Version is you don't just get to read it like you do a comic book. It's hard and you have to look, look words up. What does that mean? And you start studying deeper and deeper and deeper and you find out these deeper truths. I like it because you can't just wash through it. You have to spend time in it. Some modern translations make it so easy you don't even have to think about it. I think we should think about it. And again, I'm not saying you have to read the King James Version. In fact, I'm really not saying that. But I am saying that we need to labor intensively in the Word. We need to, we need to marinate in it so the Holy Spirit can bring those things out in our life. In John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 16, 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. You know, so, so we start seeing that, that well, how did, that, how did the New Testament people understand Scripture? Through the Holy Spirit. some personal responsibility here. It's great, it's great to belong to and attend a Bible-centered church. It's one, and it's becoming more and more rare, by the way. But it is a wonderful practice 
to have that because you have a community of people who value discipleship and, and, and deep truths. But, but listen, it, those truths are available to you just like they're available to us communally. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And we may know that verse even by heart, but verse 17 follows it. Listen, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you hear that? Thoroughly equipped. It means thoroughly furnished. It means that there is nothing. If you go to an apartment and it's fully furnished, what does it mean? That there's no furniture missing. So if you are coming to the word of God and what is produced by spending time in the word of God, it's a thoroughly furnished Christian. There is nothing else. And so many people sit back and just, I need more training. I need more studies. I need more this and I need more that. Somebody needs to tell me how to do all that stuff. What the scripture says itself is that the word of God provides that. It will teach you. He will teach you and thoroughly furnish you unto every good work. And that doesn't mean just serving in the church, by the way. That good work is not just serving through the church. That good work means that whatever life throws at you, you will always know what to do. That's powerful, isn't it? No wonder we live in a world of confusion and chaos and nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows what's wrong. Nobody knows, is this God's voice or is this me? We, we are so confused when it comes to truth. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told the parable of the soils. The farmer scattered seed and it landed on four different kinds of soil. But later he explained to them that the seed is the word of God. When you plant a seed, it takes a little bit of time for it to sprout and to grow and to begin to bear fruit. And, and now often in, uh, in different of, of our discipleship groups, I hear how when, when people get up in the morning and they read through material or they were spending time with the Lord and uh, they hit a particular verse of scripture, all day long, all day long, they find opportunities to use that verse into different people's life. Isn't that odd? That today I just read this verse and it spoke to that very issue. Is that, oh, that is such a coincidence. I think two things are at work there, maybe three. Number one, it's just fresh on your mind and heart and his word covers a multitude of things. Number two, God brings people into our life that we can specifically speak to. Or number three, the Holy Spirit is using an overflow of your life to speak life into people and you're looking for opportunities to do just that. These are promises. But if we're not students of the word personally, then our words can't matter eternally. The Holy Spirit brings a verse to mind. It brings the truth. There's times that I've sat down, read the scripture, and, and quite honestly, not given much thought to particular parts. I mean, I, I like to write down things, but, but sometimes it's, Sometimes I don't. And, um, but it's funny, a week, a month later, it's like there's something that was back there in that reservoir that the Holy Spirit was able to pluck 
out of my spirit for a specific moment. Isn't that wonderful? But that's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. That's not me or a good memory. That's the Holy Spirit taking what we have studied and being able to use it. I think this is uh, a good time to talk about accountability. Because sometimes I sit with people and they'll tell me what they drew out of Scripture. And it's really, it's, uh, this is just a word of, of admonition. You have to be really, really careful when people are rewriting Scripture or reinterpreting Scripture to get why, why do they need this interpretation to be true, right? So it's, it's always, almost always true. I won't say always because I don't know always. But in every case that I've dealt with, if a person says, well, the Scripture says this, well, that's not what the Scripture says. Well, yeah, but the word means, and if you think, if you go back to the 1980, all this kind of stuff, listen, there's a reason why it needed to be translated. It's because it contradicts somebody's lifestyle, and I need it to change because... I don't need that truth to be in there. So you have to be very, very careful. And sometimes your personal bias will override or outcry the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so how can we know? How, how do I know if how I'm interpreting that is true? That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And let, let things be true based upon the testimony or two or three witnesses. That was the Mosaic Law, and Jesus backed that up in the New Testament. That's one of the reasons why it is so important for us to join together, not because my truth is the only truth, but it should be. It should be true. And if things I say contradict what you read from the Holy Spirit, we need to have conversations about that. But my, I've got the same teacher that you have. I have a little more time to spend thanks to you, so that I can be available to spend more time. But I'm not a hired professional. That's not what I do. I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, you, don't, you don't pay me for that. You pay me so that I don't have to go get another job that would keep me distracted from being able to meet the needs of the congregation. That's the benefit of being a pastor. You don't pay me to preach. In my mind, you don't pay me to preach. This is something I get to do now, that's just my philosophy of that. It helps me. It helps me sleep at night. You may disagree with that, but I, I really do feel like I am not, I'm not a hireling. I'm not an employee. I'm just someone who has different gifts. God uses me, but if you trust me as the sole source of everything you're getting, you're going to starve to death because one meal a week's not enough. And by the way, most people don't come to church every week like they used to. So it's not even just one meal a week. Sometimes it's a meal sporadically. You don't eat physically that way. You get sick. Our spirits get sick too. Now, you can sit in your home every day and read the scripture in the morning, but sometimes you get into your own little pocket and the people that you start joining around yourself, they all agree on all those things. But it's good for us to be a part of a family, of an accountability group where we can come and test those things together. It's one of the reasons I love our community groups is to be able to spend time in the Word and read the Word, talk about it as a family, and then bring the overflow of the family into other families and kind of sharpen each other. That's the reason that those things exist. We're better together. It's easy to misinterpret Scripture. And then if you interpret Scripture by Scripture, if you misinterpret one section, you're probably going to misinterpret other sections. And we need both. We need both. We need personal study, and we need corporate study together. 
Not only does it equip you, but it also makes you fruitful. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. Now, here's the caveat. We love the ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. We love that part. But the caveat is, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that just simply means that the desires of your heart are already the desires of his heart. So when you want what God wants, he'll give you the desires of your heart because he's accomplishing his will through you. He says, this is to be my father's, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, how do we get the promise of verse 8? Well, the command of verse seven, remain in Jesus and his words remain in you. Now the remaining in Jesus is pretty easy. He does that work. But the, but the trick of Christianity is allowing his words to remain in you as you are going, as you are walking, as you are distracted and as you are busy, as you prioritize verse chapter 15, he's, he's the vine, we're the branches, but we must remain in him if we're going to be fruitful. That means that our, that our life is a result of drawing off of his life, which means the things we produce should be the things that Jesus produced. You look at Jesus's, I won't say most effective because Jesus was pretty effective, but the times recorded in scripture where we see the effectiveness of Jesus, find a time where he wasn't distracted. When, when the stories that are written is Jesus is on his way somewhere and somebody distracts him or somebody interrupts him or through the busyness of having to get somewhere to the other, somebody's getting in the way and Jesus takes time for them and has a specific word for them directly from the word of God. This and is one of the biggest words in the Bible. It's easy to remain in him. Boy, it's a whole other thing to allow his words to remain in us. But this is where the, the remaining in him has power for our lives. As he says in John 15, that's where the fruit comes from. That's where the fruit comes from. Sometimes we, we think as Christians, we just make a decision to follow Jesus and then we just have to hold on, brace ourselves to death. But we're called to produce. We're called to produce. So is your life producing? What, what he says very clearly is if you are, his words are remaining in you, your life is going to produce fruit. And then he tells us later what the fruit is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that the Holy Spirit produces in us. We don't produce them. He produces them in us, through us. And then equipping others to produce them as well by our example. But if you go back to what Jesus says in John 15, it's it's. It's our obedience to the word, to the words of Jesus that makes our hearts the soil that cultivates the Spirit's fruit. The Spirit can't produce that in you if the soil's not right. And the soil's not right, that's not the Spirit's fault. That's your obedience fault. Your time with Jesus' responsibility. 
John chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, <clears throat> this is another benefit of the Word of God, and I think very appropriate to our lives today, this very day. Who would have dreamed? By the way, this is an anniversary. This is, the, this is a year ago today was the last time that we were together corporately before whatever this last year was. Who would have thought a year ago we would have experienced what we've experienced in the life? Who knows what a year may bring? Uh, what a year it has been and continues to be. But I know it's been a year of confusion. It's been a year of chaos, a year of decision-making, a year of separation, a year of anxiety, a year of fear, a year of definitely frustration and problems, a year of new habits, a year of growth and a year of decay. So it's important for us to be in the Word of God because when we are in the Word of God, we're able to recognize His voice instead of those voices that circulate and circle in our head, the voices of others, whom I want to take my cues from. Jesus said this, when He has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to differentiate between God's voice and every other voice? Man, what a blessing that would be to be able to know when you sense something is that me or is that God? In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen. That word listen doesn't just mean hear. It means hear with obedience. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. You see, Mary had an advantage that we don't have. She saw a flesh and blood Jesus sitting in the living room. Physically there. She could sit at his feet, ask him questions, listen to the answers. And we don't have a physical voice to hear. And, uh, you know, that we may say that makes it hard. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus had to be in the living room for Mary to hear that voice. For us, that voice follows us everywhere we go. We can always hear the voice of Jesus because he's in us. But how do I recognize his voice? Spending time in his word. Just like for those of you who are married, learning the voice of your spouse. The more you hear it. I, listen, there's not a person in here, well, maybe a few, but there's very few people in here that if you heard a thousand voices, you could pick out your spouse if you were blindfolded. How? Well, you've had thousands of conversations. Up until the days of caller ID, if my spouse called me, I know her voice. She didn't have to say, hey, this is Donetta. Duh. I know your voice and I follow your words, dear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. See, that's why I should never get off script. <laughs> and she's not in here. That makes it worse. Listen, listen, she's not in here. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Okay. What happens in the gym stays in the gym. That's what I'm saying. I remember 
you know, hear the voice of Jesus, the result of that voice will be to the glory of the Father. Because that was always Jesus' voice. That everything I did, everything I said was the glory of the Father. So one of the, one of the cues that we can take is that, that when we hear this, you should, or you should think this, or you should do this, one of the cues should be, who does this bring glory to? Does this bring glory to me? Does this bring glory to mine? You know, what am I going to gain from this? You know, when you're asking those questions to filter, is it God's voice or not? You're probably going to get a little bit confused. But here is the truth. Here's the issue, all right? When you are able to say, hmm, I can see how this is to the kingdom's benefit. I see how I can use this to glorify the Father. Now you're on target. But I'm telling you, if you don't spend time with Jesus, that's not your first thoughts. Your first thought is ease, comfort, finances, power, reputation. Those are the first things we think. That's natural. But when we spend time with Jesus and we're only centered on him, not just in a moment, not in that 15 minutes that you spend or 20 minutes that you spend every morning, but when you're walking with him every day out of that. I always thought it was funny. I grew up in northeastern Kentucky and we would go hunt, hunting all the time and uh, and it sounds funny to say hunting. <laughs> hunting is, uh, is what we did. And, uh, but, but these coon dogs would, would go out, you know, we'd go out at night and, and, and stay all night, uh, most nights. But they'd go, they'd go off. And again, I was just a little kid, but you'd hear these dogs barking way off in the distance, up some holler somewhere. And you could, I mean, barely hear them. Sometimes, sometimes the, the grown men would go, listen, listen. And then they'd say, you know, they'd say different things. I won't say all of them, but they would say certain things and they would call their dog's name. They'd say, oh, that's old Sadie. How in the world can you tell that that is your dog? Every dog sounds exactly the same at middle of the night when they are three miles away, tree and a coon. I can't tell the difference. Although I will tell you, there was one time, this guy, he had a dog tree, a, a, a possum. And listen, that's a cardinal sin of a coon dog. Uh, and so he trees this possum, and this guy, he goes over to that dog. This was before people cared about this. And he beat the living daylights out of this dog. I mean, that dog was, and he was just kicking it. I mean, hard. And we were just watching going, Bruh. and he was using that dog's name in vain. I would just say, Sadie, bah, bah. that wasn't its name, but it was Tootsie, actually. But he's, hey, Tootsie, da, 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 da. and then he, we had these coal mine and wheat lights, and uh, he put that light, he went, oops, wrong Tootsie. He said, beating somebody else's dog, right? Oh, that's terrible. But far three miles away, every dog sounds the same to me, unless you hunt with that dog every night and you learn to listen to its voice. It's the same way as if most men in here, I shouldn't probably say that, most men in here, if there were 100 babies out there and one of them started crying, there'd be one mom that would get up and go because she knows the sound of that baby's cry because they hear it all the time. The Lord is the same way. If you, if you spend time with his words, when you hear his words, you'll know it because it sounds the same. But if we don't spend time in his word, most of the time we don't know what to do. And we are forced to seek counsel from friends who probably don't know either. 
And we walk away with the conclusion of saying, well, most of the people I know think this, and so I think it's a good decision. Listen, we need to quit making good decisions and start making God decisions. So I think sometimes good decisions lead us away. Satan is all too happy with good. One more. We'll do one more and then we'll go, okay? It helps us make wise decisions. Turn over to Deuteronomy, or you can listen to me read it. Just write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. It says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, this is a newly inaugurated king. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are the Levites. And it is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers. He will know how to turn from the law to the left or to the right. And then he and his descendants will reign long over his kingdom in Israel. See, when God commanded the kings He said the first thing they are to do when they come into their kingdom is they they write down the law. And what it'll do, it will teach them to revere the Lord himself. It will also, they'll be careful to follow all of God's laws, read it to obey it. They will also, it will help them to stay humble because they will learn not to consider themselves better than their brothers. And it will also help them to make good decisions so they know how to stay on track and know whether to turn from the left or to the right. So where do we find wisdom to make good decisions? The scripture says you don't have it because you don't ask for it. Where do we find wisdom? We find it in the word of God. Everybody would say that. But here's the problem. We have an issue. We start thumbing through it. What does the Bible say about? What does the Bible say about? Instead of it just, I've been in the Bible. I've heard his word. I've spent time with it. Here's what God has said in his word. I don't have to start studying it or Googling it. Listen, if you're not in the practice of spending time in the word, Google it. But don't depend on Google to resource you. The Holy Spirit, the word of God does that. It's then a little math. I'm gonna give you a little bit of math, okay? This is just based on averages, national averages. By the time an eight-year-old graduates from high school, statistically, they will have watched 23,043 hours of screen time. That does not include schoolwork. 23 hours and 43 minutes. No, 23,043 hours of screen time. If at the same period of time from 8 to 18, you faithfully attend church at least two hours a week, that comes to a grand grand sum total of 1,900 hours of just church. So the amount of screen time compared to the number of hours of church time 12 times more influential in a person's day. Isn't that crazy? And we wonder why our kids are confused. Am I saying cut screen time or am I saying we should add more hours in the church? 
I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is we need to stop neglecting the Word of God in our daily lives. We probably need to figure out how to turn the screen off some because, or at least make sure that screen is a godly influence and not just a good influence to make sure that our kids are being, and, and I, would say, I would say that most adults isn't far from the, aren't far from that same number. I'm not happy with that ratio. I don't know how to fix it. The only way to fix it is for us to fix our homes. It's kind of hard to remember God's voice when you hear so many conflicting other voices. And listen, I, I will say this to the adults. The news, that's not good screen time. Because all that's doing is another conflicting voice. What kind of fruit? Are you producing in your life? One thing, and out of this one thing flows all other things. I'm not saying that you have to sit with an open Bible all the time. What I am saying is that your time with Jesus should direct all other times. Flow into your choices. Flow into your decision making. Flow into who and what you will obey and what you will be mastered by. What kind of fruit you are producing. So I guess the admonition would be we've, we've got to figure out how to not find time. We need to figure out how to make time because we all have the same amount of time. And I will tell you, you always find the time to do the things you want to do. That's just, that's just true. You will always have time to do the things you want to do. You will always find an ability to go where you want to go. And I feel like we are so far away from that that there may not. So I think maybe we need to just start with obeying it and letting it turn into a part of our daily life. And I just believe that the spirit that is alive in you will bear witness to the spirit that is alive in him and you will develop a craving. I'm not telling you you have to start with a craving. I don't, in fact, I don't think you will. But I'm telling you that if you wait around until you find time, you won't. Because there's a lot of good things out there that's destroying us. We've got to make time. Get up earlier. Go to bed later. Turn something off. Find a different process. If the world has ever needed us to be thoroughly equipped to be able to make good godly decisions and make an influence on people's lives and to be able to know what Jesus' voice would say to impact a world that's starving for those answers, they're depending on us. But I'm afraid sometimes we're too busy. So uh, let me just challenge you in that. Start today. Spend some time with him today. Over the next few weeks, we're, we're, we're leading into Easter. Have some things coming up that will pertain to that. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to begin a guide that's kind of similar to the Connect 20, uh, but it will have uh, daily readings, and we're also going to have like daily or weekly fasting opportunities, lots of prayer ministry opportunities for you to engage in uh, that will help you spend time in God's Word a little bit more directed. So uh, let me encourage you to, when you see that stuff come out, don't just, yeah, it's good stuff, but... You know, spend time in the Word of God and in prayer. And, um, and I know that 
that we're going to make a kingdom difference for him and our families and everywhere else God sends us as we go. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do love you and we thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, many times we have neglected and we just pass it off and say, well, I'll catch up tomorrow or I'll do it later or, and later never comes. And so it's one day becomes two and then a week and then a month and then we've grown so cold and we don't even know it. So I pray that we would learn to value your word. I pray that we would, we do value it on paper. We don't value it in our spirit. We're confused and we live in chaos. We, we, live, in, we live in deficits. I pray that we would grow cold no longer. We would no longer be satisfied with that, but we would, even today, Lord, make a commitment. But that commitment, I'm afraid, begins with repentance. So this morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit in a powerful, unmistakable way would break our hearts for the sin that we've allowed in our life that have caused us to break fellowship with your truth and your word. The busyness of our very important lives have gotten in the way of your life. So Lord, I pray that you would break us of that. I know that it's on us. I know there are decisions that we have to be able to make. And so today, Lord, as we, as we repent and as we ask you to forgive us, I pray that you would, um, you would receive a commitment that we will spend time with you. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to pursue us. Thank you for continuing to come into the garden, even though you know where we are. So, Lord, while we serve, while, while we remain good people, I pray that we would not neglect the sitting at your feet. And out of that would flow life through us. We pray, Lord, that you would establish this in our lives and our families for generations. Help us to be people of the book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.